Well, as you may have gathered already this morning, it looks like that the Advent season is definitely upon us. It's not that we're leaving Thanksgiving behind. We just want to reassure Pastor John, wherever he is this morning, but uh, rather that we're living out of Thanksgiving as we move on into December. And so tomorrow morning we'll be here uh, getting the sanctuary decorated for the season. And pretty soon, pretty much everywhere we are, we'll find ourselves surrounded by the sights and the sounds of the holiday. Uh, already, Mesa Grandi Academy is out this weekend at another church singing Christmas carols and performing Christmas music. They'll be here for their concerts in a couple of weeks. Wednesday night, Christmas with the Classics will be happening here, where we're uh, honoring the most experienced members of our congregation. And uh, again, we want to remind them to RSVP if they haven't already. More music from the Kim family will be happening that night, too. And then just about a week or so after that, a little over that, Selah will be here for our annual Christmas concert, where through the avenue of music and song, they will be directing our minds and hearts to the amazing gift that we celebrate during the season. And that is as it should be, because this is one of those times when breaking into song or enjoying being drawn into the richness of all of that by other people who do, is all part of what we celebrate. However much brilliant thoughts may challenge our thinking, or well-crafted words may stimulate our imaginations, there is something about music that has a way of drawing us in and engaging us in ways that words and thoughts simply don't and can't. And so we sing, we sing a song, we sing out loud, we sing out strong. And you've been, if you've been around long enough to recognize those words, you can probably already hear the tune playing in your head, can't you? Maybe even Karen Carpenter's voice singing in the background. And with all of that comes not only words, but also feelings and maybe even something more that you associate with all of that, because that's how music works. It's really an incredible gift. It's amazing. It impacts us on all kinds of levels and touches us in deep ways. Music can express anguish, bringing tears to our eyes. It can stir memories. It can inspire hope. It can lift our spirits. It can deepen our convictions. It's pretty powerful stuff. Which is why, even though we tend to forget this, it really should not come as a great surprise to us to discover that most of the Bible comes to us in just that way, as poetry and as verse. The entire book of Psalms was a book that was meant to be sung. Maybe even Genesis 1 was that way. They are words that are meant to be expressed in song. And that is worth remembering, especially when we're looking at those passages of scripture that were not intended just to be read, but which were actually meant to be sung. And so when we turn to those places in our Bibles, if we really want to grasp the richness of what they're trying to communicate, we need to pay attention to that and listen not just for words that inform our heads, but to lyrics that express hearts. We need to tune in not just to what is being said, but to what is being experienced and what makes people want to sing. And maybe even to what invites us to sing along with them.
And so for the next few weeks in our Advent sermon series, we're going to be spending some time with some of the songs of the season, but maybe not necessarily the ones that you're the most familiar with or that you're likely to hear on the radio or playing in the stores as you do your Christmas shopping. But they are the songs that stirred in the hearts of those who first celebrated the Advent season. In two weeks, on the Sabbath just before Christmas, Pastor John is going to be inviting us to listen to the angels' song, which is actually one that we might most easily identify with and remember. Next week, he's going to be inviting us to consider one that we're probably a little less familiar with, Zachariah's song. But this morning, what I'd like to invite you to do is spend a little bit of time with me considering Mary's Christmas song. Now, I've got to admit that a few weeks ago, when I first learned that this was part of the Advent series that I was going to get to do, that my first reaction, before I'd really thought about it much, was, oh, okay, Mary's song. That sounds like it would be fun. And so with a typical Christmassy sort of mindset, I began to anticipate all the Christmassy sorts of things that Mary would surely be singing about at a time like this. But then when I opened my Bible to Luke 1 and actually began reading the lyrics to Mary's song, it didn't take very long before all the familiar Christmassy tunes had kind of faded out of the back of my mind. And I found myself thinking, oh, this definitely does not sound like Christmas music. Mary apparently did not get the memo of what a Christmas song was supposed to be about. How am I supposed to start an Advent series with this song? In fact, it was one of those moments when you go to your Bible expecting it to say one thing, only to discover that when you actually read what's there, it's talking about something else entirely. Which, by the way, happens more often than we might think, even if it takes us decades sometimes to officially admit it. And so, rather than trying to find a way to see if I could get Mary to sing something else, I thought, okay, maybe I should just listen to what it was that she actually was singing. And as I began to do that, trying to listen carefully, not just to the words that she said, but to what was in her heart and what was on her heart, what it was that she was trying to give expression to through her song, what emerged for me there was actually something quite powerful that actually had a lot more to say about the Christmas season than I realized. And while it appears that Mary drew from a lot of other songs in the scripture that she already knew as she crafted hers, for example, there's very close parallels in the song between what she sang and what Hannah sang at the birth of Samuel, which you can read about if you want to in 1 Samuel 2, which seems to be an experience that Mary really identified with. Still, what Mary powerfully conveys in her song is an experience and a perspective that is quite uniquely her own. And so what I'd like to do with you this morning is take a few moments, not just to read the words to the song, but to see if maybe we can catch a few strains of the music and glimpse a little bit of what it was that made her want to sing. But of course, now that I've said that, since most of us are probably not familiar at all with what's actually in Mary's song, maybe taking a few moments to look at the lyrics together so we can at least get the words in our head might not be a bad idea. And so if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I'd like to invite you to do that with me. 
to turn with me to Luke chapter 1, where beginning with verse 46, the lyrics to Mary's song are actually recorded. Let's take a look and see what's in the music. This is what she writes. My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm, scattering those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. He has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Not exactly your typical Christmas carol, is it? And yet, what I'd like to suggest to you this morning is as we begin to listen to what Mary is singing about, is that there may be a lot more here that has to do with Christmas than you might first guess. And so, because songs generally do not arise out of a vacuum, but are often shaped by the stories and experiences of those who write them, it might be helpful for us to take just a few moments before we get too much farther to remind ourselves not only about Mary's own personal, individual story, but also the larger story of the faith community that she was a part of in that time and at that place. Because it's out of those stories that Mary sings. And to do that, I'd like to share uh, a couple of clips from you from a short video which gives us, I think, a pretty good glimpse into what her journey and her experience was like. It's a video in which Mary is portrayed as reflecting back on that time in her life out of which this song arose. We actually shared this with you last year about this time, but we're sharing a slightly abbreviated version of that now just to get the story back in your mind. And uh, we'll take a few moments now just to watch and listen. just how obvious it was. Impossible, unbelievable, unthinkable, but just so clearly and obviously God. I was a good girl, passionate about God. I love to hear the stories about our people about how God had rescued us, how he'd stepped in and done amazing things. I secretly hoped that I would see something of that in my lifetime. I dreamt that I would see God come through for us again. And then one day I was in the house on my own I was preparing the midday meal and suddenly there was a man in the room and everything changed. Not so that you could see it, but it felt different. It felt like God had come close. And the man told me not to be afraid. 
that God was pleased with me, that God had chosen me, that I was going to have a baby, the Son of God. And I remember so clearly what I thought. I thought, if this is what God wants, then this is what I choose. There are so many times since then that I have longed to believe like I did then, to see things so clearly. But then when it all happened, it was beautiful. We were in Bethlehem, miles away from everyone who misunderstood. And it was foreign and chaotic and just so perfectly orchestrated by God. And the most wonderful thing was that for the first time since I saw my cousin, I wasn't the only one who believed. There were shepherds and there were men from another country. And they knew that this was from God. And that night, I know that Joseph believed too. was 15 years ago and life feels very different now ordinary and I look at my son Jesus this gentle quiet boy and I wonder who he is I wonder if I've ever understood what it meant. And that's when I have to tell myself the story all over again. Of how God sent an angel to a young girl to tell her that she would have a baby. The hope of the world. an amazing picture, isn't it? As you listen to her share what was on her heart, as she reflects back on those first moments out of which her song arose. Moments when a young girl, quite ordinary in many ways, who loved to hear stories about how God had been with his people in the past, and who along with the rest of the community she was a part of, longed for the day when God would come through for them again and set things right again because there was so much that was not right and because it had been that way for so long. How this young girl suddenly finds herself caught up in that story in ways that she never would have imagined in her wildest dreams. Through the angel in a powerful and profound way, God lets her know that she does not need to be afraid, that in fact, she has been chosen to which she responds both with utter amazement and joy and a decision to follow wherever God might lead. What she hears and how she responds in the context of the story she is living 
is the soil out of which this song takes root and grows. You can hear it in those first few verses. Listen to it again. My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. You can hear both the joy and the humility as she sings the realization that as ordinary and unremarkable as she seems to be in so many ways, God has noticed her. He has chosen her to be part of something bigger than she would ever have dreamed possible. Can you identify at all with what it feels like to realize that as ordinary or unremarkable as you may seem, that God has noticed you, chosen you, and that you are invited to be a part of something much bigger than you ever dreamed. If not, you might want to give it some thought, because this is the idea that Jesus was later trying to get across to his disciples in the upper room, and it was not meant only for them. When he spoke to these ordinary, unremarkable, seeming kinds of people, these words in John 15, 16, he said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Mary is the first among those who would follow Jesus, who would get to give expression to that realization. And she does it in song. Part of what Advent is about is the realization of our chosenness. That's the kind of God that is coming into the world. Well, listen as she continues singing. The end of verse 48. From now on, she sings, all generations will call me, me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. You know, some 30 years later, Jesus would be standing on a hillside, and in the Sermon on the Mount, he would be pronouncing many other seemingly obscure and unlikely people as those who are actually blessed. But Mary's the first of those who gets to sing the song, a song about an amazingly unexpected grace and an, an incredible reversal that was about to go on in the world from the way things appear to the way things actually are, because the kingdom was now in their midst. See, part of what Advent is also about is the realization that we, too, are blessed. And then in verse 50, she continues singing like this. His mercy extends to all who stand in awe of him from generation to generation, singing about her people. Can you hear the music in what she is saying? Can you identify with the deep, profound, personal transformation that Mary is experiencing from what has happened? And as she allows all of this to begin to sink in, she is chosen. She is blessed. But that's not all that Mary sings about here. There's more going on in her song because what moves her so deeply is not just how this impacts her personally, but also how this is going to impact the community that she has been a part of for such a long time. You see, her song is not just a song about me. 
It is also a song about us. And the part of the us for Mary, part of what us meant for her, was about being part of a people who are those who worship the one true God, which at that time was in contrast to a lot of other groups of people who worshiped a lot of different gods. So much so, I am told, that one of the ancient writers at that time actually commented that there were so many gods that it was easier to find a god than a man in the street of Athens. Might be a bit of an exaggeration, but you get the point of what he was saying. What's more than that, it was not just believing in just one God that had already made Mary and her community stand out and a bit unusual in the culture of that day. But as Rob Bell points out in some of the most recent stuff that he's written, that one of the things that made this one God stand out was that while all the other gods appeared to be beings that had been made in the image of people, this God claimed to have made people in his image as an expression of his love which actually was a pretty impressive contrast about what made Mary and her community different. It was very impressive except for this one thing, which was something that was a bit of a PR problem actually for the Jewish community. And that was that when you looked at all of their recent history, it seemed to have been all about getting conquered by a lot of other groups of people who were worshiping a lot of different gods which of course made it hard to explain why if their God really was ultimately in charge, why things were going so poorly for them and had been for such a long time. It was Babylon first and then Persia and then the Greeks and now the Romans. And so we can understand why so many Jews had become so resentful of the Romans who were occupying their land. That by itself would have been enough But if that was not bad enough, the Romans also believed that their emperors actually were the sons of gods themselves. They believed that they had been sent to earth to bring a reign of peace and prosperity, with all the options on the table, of course, for how to bring that about. And they even said things like, there is no other name under heaven by which people can be saved than that of Caesar. Recognize that language? The church later co-opted that to make their point. And so when the Romans conquered someone, what they would do is they would move in and impose taxes to help cover the costs of the conquests, of course, and to build an aqueduct or two. And if you resisted too much, one of the ways they had of ensuring your compliance and maintaining the rule of law and ensuring peace and prosperity for everyone was to hang you on a cross to make you an example of what happens if you resist the force of Caesar. And even though the Jews were allowed some limited rule in some places through people like Herod, there was no question at all about who was ultimately in charge and where the authority rested. That was the world that Mary lived in. This was the tension that the community of Jews lived with, her people. And there was so much about how all of this played out that was not right that was not fair, that was not just. And while Rome was quite effective and efficient and built a lot of great stuff, Rome could also be quite brutal. And those who had power abused it. The poor were taken advantage of, people groups were oppressed. Even their own religious leaders, when they got the power, proved that they could act in similar ways, so the Jews didn't do a whole lot better. 
And this too was part of the experience that formed that backdrop for the song that Mary sings and the story that would play out later in her life. And so now listen to how that awareness, not only of this God who had extended his amazing grace to her and blessed her, but also as she anticipates how God will now be extending that same grace to her community, the people that she lives with. Listen to how that is expressed in her song as she continues to sing. Look at verse 50 again. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation, again singing about her people. Verse 51, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but he has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. When we listen to it in its context, what she is singing is actually quite breathtaking, actually quite revolutionary. She's singing about how those who have seemed to be the underdogs would now be the ones who would be receiving salvation. Those who had been on the receiving end of injustice for so long would not be there anymore. Their time of relief had come. In essence, in verse 52, Mary is singing that Caesar and everything that Caesar represents is going down now. And it will be through the son of Mary, the son of this young, poor, obscure girl, that God is going to bring it all about. A great reversal is about to be set in motion. And Mary sings. But oddly enough, it's not going to happen the way one might think. This new ruler that Luke introduces for us here as he preserves Mary's song so that we can have it is not going to establish his throne using the methods of Caesar. No force, no fear, no power, no coercion. But by taking an entirely different path, one that arises not out of pomp and circumstance, but out of obscurity and ordinariness, it's going to be heralded by a voice crying in the wilderness of all things. It's going to be about taking a path that's all about serving and loving, even when it costs. What Mary is singing about, even though she did not fully understand all the implications herself, was the beginning of something that was going to turn the most powerful empire in the world completely upside down. And it was going to happen without so much as drawing a sword, or firing a shot. It was a song more amazing than even she knew. That was the first song of Advent. And so, you know, it's no real coincidence then that just a few chapters later, when Luke records Jesus introducing his own ministry with a similar set of lyrics that Jesus selects from the prophet Isaiah, that you catch the same strains of the same song. Listen to what Jesus opens with in Luke 4, beginning with verse 18, as he introduces his own ministry. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed 
free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Do you hear the strains of that same song? It's like Isaiah and Mary are singing a duet and Jesus picks it up and pronounces it at the beginning of his ministry. Well, Luke goes on to describe the rest of it. Verse 20, he says, Then he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. The kingdom has arrived. It's here. And for those who heard the music, Caesar's style of kingdom began to crumble. As Jesus went on to make clear in his life and ministry, even while emperors were busy trying to conquer the world and establish their version of what the kingdom was supposed to be about, Jesus was there inviting the entire world to come and join his. A very different kind of kingdom, with a very different kind of king, and with a whole different agenda. Which, by the way, is what John is writing about later, where he uses some rather graphic and poetic visual and musical images in the book of Revelation, a book that's all about contrasting what those two kingdoms were about. There's some real Christmas music for you there if you want to find some. But it's in Mary's song, even though she may not have fully understood it herself at the time, that we hear the first music of Advent as she sings about God entering the world through a path that's characterized by humility and even obscurity. As she sings about how Mary was invited and anyone who would accept his invitation was invited to come and be a part of the kingdom, basking in a rich sense of their chosenness and that they had indeed been blessed. It was a song about a kingdom that was not all about power and conquest, but about humility and service. For people would not be motivated by anxiety or the fear of punishment, but by a selfless love that was rooted in grace. It's a song about the coming of a kingdom where service was more important than profit, where mercy was extended, where the hungry were fed, where the greedy were not allowed to run roughshod over those who had less than they did where doing justly and loving mercy and walking humbly were not just platitudes, but the ideals that shaped their lives and made them want to sing. Sing a song of gratitude for what God was graciously doing in them and then letting the implications of that to find full expression in every dimension of how they lived and their relationships to others. That is the song that welled up in Mary in anticipation of the first advent and which found more expanded expression in the music of Jesus' life and ministry. And as we enter into the advent season, it is the music that we are invited still to sing. And so sing. Sing that song. Sing out loud, Sing out strong. Sing of grace, not anxiety. Sing of joy, not fear. Sing. Sing that song 
Make it simple to last your whole life long. And don't worry if you think that yours is not good enough for anyone else to hear. Just sing. Sing that song.